Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, empowerment coach Audra Boyd returns to Heal to go beyond grief and talk about all our uncomfortable emotions. I know, great, right? And how critical emotional health and healing is to the quality of our lives and relationships. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Audra Boyd, welcome back to Heal. Thank you so much for doing this again. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. And so, holy moly, I think it was a year-ish ago we did this for the first time when we dove into one of often many people's least favorite emotional state, grief. Mm-hmm. And I am excited. Yeah, right. It's like that, not where we always like to hang out in grief. <laughs> for very long. Uh, if at all, if we can try right. to avoid it, which we're going to talk about actually not avoiding our emotions today. And, you know, in season four of heal, we took a look at everything over this last year and, and are bringing back some of the more, you know, all the episodes were incredible. And there were some that stood out that it was like, we really want to have the next conversation and go deeper and get into that topic more. And so I'm really yeah. excited to be able to do that here with you today. So what's been happening oh, in this last year for you? What, where are you now with all of it? Oh, that's such a good question. Well, I think, you know, a lot of life happened for all of us this last year, maybe mm-hmm. not the kind of life we would have chosen, but it's been an interesting year. And with the emotions, you know, one of the things that I'm, you know, really present to is it's not just grief. <laughs> Yeah. Right. There's a whole bunch of emotions that we don't want to be with and we don't want to feel and we don't know how to make sense of them. Yeah. And so we, you know, we try and put them on mute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we try mm-hmm. and hit the mute button. You know? yeah. A lot of us have spent some time on Zoom, so we're really familiar with that. But uh-huh. it's, it's definitely only- <laughs> a concept. Where's the mute right? button? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when we were... Or- talking a bit about like what, where did we want to go in this episode? You were talking about just how for you, you know, it did start with exploring grief, but now through your work with clients and seeing what they've been doing in your coaching practice, it's really just been about this broader range of, well, kind of all emotions, but definitely powerful emotions and what you're seeing people struggling with. I don't know how you'd put it. Like I would say for me is like, where I ha- I'm not always willing to just be authentic and straight about what I'm feeling or what I'm feeling. I've got the feeling itself and then layered on top of it is a fear, a fear of expressing it, a fear of if I tell the truth about it, what that means. And like, I don't even want to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. You're not alone. You know, that re- it's so common. We all grow up in this set of you could say they're inherited conversations, right? They're not even ours. We got them from our parents. They got them from theirs where it's, you know, it's not okay to express your emotions. Definitely not publicly. I mean, it's barely okay to do it in your room when you're on your own. Yeah. And we just have a difficulty making sense of our emotions. It's like, there's a capacity that we could have learned as kids, but we didn't or we learned some ways of trying to deal with our emotions. Notice what I said, deal with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But we didn't really learn how to make sense of them and that, Hey, it's okay. You're like, emotions are going to be like this constant river that run through you. Yeah. (laughs) 
And like, I do want to get into some of the, like, how do we do that? How do we identify our emotions? What are the tools? But I'm also like, okay, here's the first question. Why, why do we care? Why, why is this important? (laughs) That's such a good question. Like what are your emotions do for you lately anyways? Well, there's, you know, it's so great, right? Because th- for a while, the conversation was that, oh, emotions are noise and they're just not useful and they have you be less effective as a human being, you know, like in business. And um, what we've found <laughs> more recently is that's just not the case. In fact, people who can make sense of their emotions are generally more successful in school and in careers. And it's the, it's the two marshmallow two marshmallow study. Have you ever heard of the two marshmallow study? No, tell me. (laughs) Okay. So there was this study that happened. I want to say it was in the sixties at Stanford and they took a group of four-year-olds. So you all want to channel your inner four-year-old, right? And they put a marshmallow in front of each of the four-year-olds. And then the person who was doing the study said, okay, I need to go run some errands. Now you can have this one marshmallow now, or if you wait until I get back, I will give you a second marshmallow and you can have two marshmallows. Awesome. And then (laughs) what happened? Well, so the kids who waited, right? Like processed, waited and didn't eat that marshmallow right away for that instant gratification. They got the second one. They followed them and saw how they did in school and how they did in their careers. And the ones that waited for the second marshmallow did better in school. They did better in their careers and they were just overall more effective and successful people in life. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how does waiting for a marshmallow connect to our emotional capacity? (laughs) So good, right? How does that? Well, if you think about your emotions, right? The, your emotion was probably right there as a kid's like, oh, instant gratification. I want the marshmallow. I'm just going to eat the marshmallow. Right. Yeah. Excited. Right. Anticipatory. Right. But those that actually were able to go, wait a minute. Okay. I'm excited, but I would be even more excited about two marshmallows and really took the time to make sense of their emotion. Like, what is it that has me be so happy? And then like, adjusted their actions to fit with the information that they just processed. Yeah. They got the two marshmallows, hmm. <laughs> right? You could say they got more out of life. That's I was what gonna I say. So you're out to have people have two marshmallows. In life. That's right. I'm out for people <laughs> to live a two marshmallow life. That's what I want for people. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so with like with your clients and in your coaching uh-huh. practice, what, what do you see that people like are struggling with, like kind of putting it down on the court? Well, one that we're feeling emotions, you know, Mm -hmm. we do that mute thing so often we don't even have the capacity really. And I'm speaking from myself, but I found this with other people as well to identify more than like the six basic emotions. Mm. Like we can identify when we're happy or when we're sad, but you know, identifying when there's apprehension present or boredom or like to be able to like process the information and get to the subtleties of emotions so that we can more effectively not only make sense of them, but take action or inaction in life is, is so, so limited, I find in human beings. Yeah. And there's all these moments where they just 
stuffed their emotion or muted their emotion. And there's things that they, they didn't deal with. So they, we develop all these coping mechanisms or these, like, I like to call them distraction strategies, right? It's like, Oh, yeah. I need to distract myself from feeling that emotion that may be useful in the short term, but when it comes down to it, you know, we aren't using our bodies to, you know, sense what's the information coming in from our body. What's the information coming in from our mind? What's the information coming in from the outside world so that we can really process and effectively make choices. Yeah. You know, and when I think about like why emotions, you know, because also on my side of the fence in physical medicine, you know, in the biochemistry Mm -hmm. of the body, when you think about how our brains developed and we, you know, some people know, like we have these kind of three brains or three levels of the brain. And we talk about our brain stem and the reptilian brain, which yeah. operates literal basic physiology, your heart rate, your breathing, your digestive patterns. I mean, some of digestion comes from the higher brain too, but it's like this basic running of your body. And they say reptilian brain, cause it's like kind of the level of the brain function of most reptiles. Mm-hmm. And it produces life, which is really great. That keeps you alive and keeps you moving and has some basic instincts wired into it. And then the second level of the brain is the limbic system. Mm-hmm. And the limbic system is actually where emotions evolved. And we know that that happened before language. Yes. Which should actually point to something. And I think this is where some of the way if we ever got taught about it, or even the way we talk about it in culture, we've messed some things up as we say things like, oh, the reptilian brainstem is the lower brain. Mm. Then the limbic system came on next. And then the higher brain is cognitive thought, logical thinking, the frontal cortex, right? Yes. Well, many of uh, these shows that I've done and many people that listen to the, you know, a lot of podcasts and things, there's been a whole new world of exploration in life spirituality and health about psychedelic medicine and Mm -hmm. also about flow state. And what's interesting about flow state is it's a state of the brain that we drop into like under either incredibly high levels of stress, like life or death circumstances, Mm -hmm. or when we're actually in our mastery of a skill. So Olympic athletes, extreme sport athletes, people that like kayak, you know, class six rivers and literally kayak off of waterfalls or, skiers in extreme mountains. That's actually where they did a lot of their study was extreme sport athletes in order to test their brains and figure out what flow state is about. We also know that flow state is what the Navy SEALs will drop into to work as a team. And when the brain drops into, and flow state is like a neurologic state of the brain. And we know more and more now, there's actually two books I read on this one, the rise of Superman and two stealing Mm -hmm. fire. And there we'll have that in the show notes. I think it's Stephen Kotner and I'll think of the other author of those books. They created the flow genome project and they've been studying this for now, like 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And at first it was all we could do to just observe this state of the mind. And now we're actually starting to figure out, can you train people in it? Mm Because productivity goes up. So like at Google, productivity goes up dramatically inside. They have at the, at the headquarters, like meditation pods and, and float tanks. And these are all things that help us get us greater access to flow. Now, why am I saying all this? One of the key components of flow state, which can increase productivity by 500%. That was so great. Is it inhibits the frontal cortex. (laughs) 
it stops our judgment brain from running amok on all of our opinions and judgments and right, wrong and good and bad. And all of those thoughts, it actually quiets all that down and it puts us back into this more innate, quote unquote, primal way of being. But what people talk about, like there was one of the stories in the book, I think it was in the rise of Superman Mm -hmm. was a base jumper, you know, someone who literally leaps off of a cliff with a parachute in his hand yeah, her hand. And then at a certain point, let's go with the parachute and you really hope it opens. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the thrill. Like you're not even that far off the ground. Well, they were base jumping into these big caves in Mexico that go mm-hmm. down into the ground. Yeah. And when this person released their parachute, it didn't fully inflate oh. and they're falling more or less at terminal gravity. And they were up against the side of the cliff because they had been pushing the cliff and their fingers are literally getting ground off on the rock as they're trying to grip oh. on the rock to slow themselves down. Now, clearly this person survived. Otherwise we wouldn't know the story. Story, Right. And they said while they were falling, they could count the number of swallows flying around their head. Hmm. And there was another gentleman who was a mountaineer and he's on top yeah. of a mountain and his rope with the, to his partner breaks. And he starts sliding down the side of a glacier over the edge of a cliff. And he's got his ice pick into the ice sliding down. And as he was falling to his theoretical death, you would think he'd be thinking about all kinds of, well, you know what he's thinking about? He was like, oh man, well, I'm going to die. So who's going to do my lecture on Tuesday? I wonder (laughs) if this person's available. Like that's literally what was going through his head, right? Like that's just nuts. That's what's going on in those states. But they say key things to flow is timelessness. Mm -hmm. Time disappears. Things slow way down. And actually it's like the fear of mortality disappears, not because they're like, oh, I don't care if I die. It's literally like they recognize and experience oneness with everything. Mm. Like there is no death. Wow. These are all similar circumstances people talk about in uh, psychedelic medicine and psychedelic, you know, shamanic ceremonies. And it doesn't have to just be psychedelics. It can be through like holographic breath work. Wim Mm -hmm. Hof method can get people access to this. Just meditation, deep transcendental meditation can get people access to this. So this is this whole field that is like cutting edge performance. Well, mm-hmm. my thinking of the theory is that's tapping people deeper and deeper into a more profound, powerful relationship to their limbic system, AKA their emotional mm-hmm. state, which is like, this is a whole area we haven't, I say this is the next frontier of neurology. Now, I don't think I'm the only one, but there's not a lot of people saying this. <laughs> and So I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you just to set up this like other way of looking at it where for sure there's my day-to-day functionality in life that I'm happy I'm like pretty good with life. And when I'm sad, I'm not. And I'd like to be able to do something about that. But I also think there's something way bigger about our sense of connection to each other and intimacy and belonging, which are all major issues as a culture, as a society, as a world people are dealing with right now. Oh, Absolutely. More so than ever, I think, at least in my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. So I can really see that the, you know, the power of learning about cultivating and mastering our emotional spaces Mm -hmm. is, you know, there's glimpses in the research that shows this is, this is actually like the next frontier of performance and satisfaction in life. And we really don't know a lot about the emotions. Mm-hmm. and what they're for and how they serve us. And like, that's fascinating to me too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really great. Cause even, you know, even in 
corporate America, if you will, they're seeing the benefit of people who are in touch with their emotions. You know, technology moves so fast now. There's many companies that that's not even what they look for in an employee. They're looking for their emotional intelligence, if you will. Right. How, how well can you relate to others? How, can you feel empathy? Can you have difficult conversations with people? Can you yeah. read? Can you, right? Because whether um, or not somebody has the skill set of the technology at this point is sort of irrelevant. And I even know some people that are like, we'd rather have someone who doesn't so we can just teach them exactly what they need to know. But yes. we need to know we, that they're workable and they're, they're going to work with a team and they're going to be able to handle the pressure of a startup or whatever those details are. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So let's exactly. say this is hitting some people and they're like, yeah, great. I am one of those like, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people, mostly our society operates in like, I'm good. I'm bad. Like, How are you today? Good. How are you today? Eh, not that great. You yeah. know? Then we've talked about the six basic emotions, which like the, I think it was, is it Disney or Pixar or one in the same that did? Uh, I don't know. Inside Out. The Inside, Inside Out. out. Yes. Right. And, you know, you have what five or six characters in there is like happy, sad, anger. So there's joy, right? Sadness, yeah. anger, and disgust, I think they got into. Yep. That's it. They get, get into the five, right? Yeah. <laughs> but like, I've noticed that that doesn't always tell the whole story. No, no, for sure not. Right. I mean, that's like the beginning. (laughs) That's the beginning of it. I don't know if you've ever seen, there's some really great emotion wheels or emotion flowers out there Mm. that are so useful. They start from those basic five, but then they, you know, it expands into the nuances of our, of our feelings and our emotions. And you get things like you get to like, okay, I'm not really sad, but I'm bored or angry. No, I'm infuriated or, you know, right. Like what is the exact emotion or yeah, I'm happy. No, I'm elated. Or, you know, it gets you just the experience, your experience broadens. They even have some of those that not only have the emotions, but then what does it feel like in your body? So if you're not quite sure, Mm right? What the emotion is, you can kind of go to that and look at, okay, it feels a little bit like, okay, there's this sensation in my tummy or, you know, so it helps guide you to what's actually going on for you. What's, what's the, what is the information that your body is actually processing? Yeah. And I've actually seen that. I mean, I'm going to categorize this a little bit more in my male clients from my female clients, but it's not Mm -hmm. always the case where, Mm -hmm there's sort of a collapsing of physical symptoms and emotions where like what they say is my stomach is upset Mm -hmm. or I don't feel good in my body. And then when we actually uncover it, it's way more about an emotional state, but it's like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going out on a limb. I don't have research for this, but my experience is like, we teach little boys a bit more about like, they're allowed to have a stomach ache, but they're not allowed to be sad and vulnerable. Right. Right. So a lot of times it kind of transfers over mm-hmm. into that sort of collapsing. Do you see that with your clients too? Oh, I definitely do. And it, and it also isn't limited to, right. Like to the the boys and to the male. Cause it, you True. know, there's, the cliches that we grow up with, right? Like big girls don't cry. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I heard that. I must've been a real trip for my parents. 
<laughs> and you were talking about some of the things of like, you remember from your childhood that oh. influenced, you know, the way you went about dealing with your emotions growing up. Oh, totally. You know, I can st- remember like it was yesterday, a time where I was with my dad and we were on the porch and <laughs> I'm clear. I must've been throwing what we would call a temper tantrum. <laughs> But my dad looked at me and said, I don't know what we're going to do with you in this temper of yours. I think we're going to have to take you to a psychiatrist. And I thought, whoa. I mean, I was a little kid at the time, right? That was like, I don't know. It was like, it it nearly shocked me into like, that was like a sentence, a life sentence. Only crazy people had to go to psychiatrists or whatever. It just stopped me in my tracks. And I remember, you know, I don't know when or how much later it was, but I remember watching this movie and there was a character in the movie that so that she wouldn't express emotion on her face. She was digging a fork like into her hand or into her leg. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a good strategy. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Right. I'm uh-huh. like, oh my goodness. Right. You know, thinking about it now, I'm like, wow, that that was, you know, yeah, seemed like a good strategy to me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I've, I've also heard from several, you know, through my years with clients, people sharing things like they had the experience when they were a kid of being too much, mm-hmm. too happy, too exuberant, too loud, too expressive, too angry. And so, you know, those places where, And I think it's so easy and reflexive to do with kids when they are having strong emotions, because we can't be with our own strong emotions. We can't be with theirs either. And especially not when it's in the restaurant, out at the dance hall, you know, on the soccer field, whatever is that reflex to (laughs) automatically go to, you know, be less sad, be quiet, tone it down, not Mm -hmm. here, not now. Yeah. Which I think many of us can also remember times in our childhood when we had, we received that information. And I have two friends that um, I've really gotten to watch over the years raising their kiddos and, Mm -hmm. and their mom is a therapist, a social worker, and she's just incredible. One of the things that always struck me Mm. was how when her kids would get upset, she'd actually name the emotion Mm -hmm. and be like, I really get that that made you sad. Like, I really get that you're angry about that. Mm-hmm. She didn't try and change their emotion. She didn't try and talk them out of it. And and it was just this like, and God, I mean, because that was, you know, this kind of leads in the other thing that you've been sharing about what you're really interested in is being able to create emotional intelligence in parenting. Yes. So tell me about that. Well, you know, I look at it, you're right. As kids, our brains aren't as developed as they are now as an adult. And it's almost like our emotions are intensified when we're younger, right? We feel happiness at such a higher level. And just being able to process that and deal with it, you know, sometimes they will cry as a kid just because we aren't sure what to do with this emotion that we're feeling. It's like the only way that we can, can let it out. And as if we have emotionally intelligent parents, what I see is all the work that I do with my clients, especially my adult clients who struggle with it, right? Struggle with what is the emotion or, you know, it's not okay to feel my emotions. If we actually taught them, like your friend was teaching her kids, oh, I got it. You're feeling sad. Oh, I can see how that would have you feel really angry. It develops our ability to make sense of our emotions and that it's okay to have them. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I just see a whole different world if, you know, if all parents were that way. 
right? With their kids, our kids would grow up, who knows what would then come from, you know, what you're pointing to with the flow state, like how more quickly we could access it and how many more people could access it and what then becomes possible for a human being, you know? Yeah. It's fascinating. You know, and I feel like I grew up with pretty emotionally intelligent parents to begin Mm -hmm. with. They, Mm -hmm. and they encouraged some areas. So it was interesting to see that like certain emotions were very safe and others were not allowed. (laughs) So like expression of (laughs) sadness, disappointment, upset, crying, like those were all free game. Knock yourself out. Anger, Mm -hmm. not so much. That one, no. So I remember in my late teen, I was in college, I think I was 19, when it like hit me that I however my parents did it, the way I internalized it was anger was never okay. Like it just Mm -hmm. was not acceptable to ever be angry. And I like first accessed being angry, listening to, I think it was tool. My sister had given me a CD and I like cranked Mm -hmm. it up and I like intentionally leaned into the emotion. Now, now I know, like I've actually been to retreats and workshops where they'll do this as an exercise on purpose, like in Mm -hmm. a safe space, create the opportunity for us to turn the volume up on emotions that have been, you know, trapped or suppressed or unexpressed in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And I see that a lot in my detox work with people as we go through and we start working on healing their gut, healing their liver, healing different parts of their body, we're releasing toxicity and we're rebalancing their, their endocrine system. And right alongside of it, there'll be like emotions that surface suppressed, you know, they'll go through a period of time where there's angry for like three weeks. They don't know why there's nothing happening in their life. And it's like, well, we just treated the liver and in Chinese medicine, the liver is what processes anger. And that's Mm -hmm. a whole map that is also not in Western medicine, but is in many medical systems is like the emotions are right in there embedded in our, in our organ systems. You've got fear in the kidney and grief in the lungs and anger in the liver. Those are the big ones, but then worry in the stomach. And there's like, you know, all sorts of different ways that are, we actually literally embody our emotions, not just as like a metaphor for something. Oh, absolutely. A lot, you know, a lot of my clients, in addition to the work that I do with them also struggle with exactly those types of things, those issues in their body, the physiological effects. Right. And so I've had like a pretty good start. I've, I've done work in this area more or less a lot of my life. And here I am, like, I still notice the resistance, like, (laughs) you know, Monday night, got in an argument with my partner and it took me until yesterday. So like three and a half, almost four days to be willing to go through all the logical explanation. I did all mm-hmm. the like, this didn't work for me and I'd really like it to be this way. And actually mm-hmm. here's my requests. And, you know, I handled those things like Tuesday, Wednesday. And it wasn't until last night that I finally got to a place that I was willing to get vulnerable enough to just say that hurt mm-hmm. and I'm sad mm-hmm. and cry until I was done crying. Mm-hmm. And that's it's so interesting because like I kept trying to address the upset. Mm -hmm. We talked about the things we we were arguing about. We even made an action plan to resolve the things we were Mm -hmm. arguing about on Wednesday. And I didn't feel any different. My brain knew we had an action plan in place and I still didn't want to kiss him, touch him or sleep next to him. (laughs) Yes. And, And I'm like, okay, what else is going on? And it was like, I just didn't, 
whatever reason, I just didn't want to go there. And it took something. It took courage. It took vulnerability. It took Mm -hmm. being willing to lean into my trust of him again. And it was so interesting that it really wasn't until I fully expressed the emotions and got heard that it actually resolved the argument. Mm. Mm. You know, you said something so powerful in there, Sarah, you said your brain knew like with the plan and how you're going to handle this or that. Well, the prefrontal cortex part of your brain knew, right? right? The logic part knew. Yeah. And it's almost right. Like, but it wasn't until you connected in that limbic, right? part of your brain that you actually, where you allowed yourself to feel the emotion and share that and express that. That's where that you could say the healing happened. Yeah. Yeah. And put it even further on the court, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and we're all good and I'm just sharing about how it can be. Right. But like, of course, if you asked me on Wednesday morning, I'd be like, I don't, I don't know if we're going to stay together. I don't know if this is going to work out long-term. That was part of where my judgment brain was going was like, mm-hmm. well, how's this going to be in the future? And if that's how we're going to handle things, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And it was like packing bags and changing living situations, you know? Right. And what's and this is what I think it points to the value of this work. Mm-hmm. It would have been so easy to stay there like that was the truth. Like that was reality. Exactly. I mean- and. At best, I could force myself to give my word to the action plan and stick it out because I said so, but I'd be Mm -hmm. dragging my suffering along with me. Yes. But then by (laughs) not just having the conversation about you said X and I said Y and I apologize and here's what I'm going to do about it, you know, like that piece Mm -hmm. until I got to the emotional expression And then, you know, now you asked me this morning and I'm like in love and I can't wait to spend more time with him. And like, this is so, you know, like we're going on vacation in a week and I can't, it's going to be awesome. Are you freaking kidding me? Like right there, one conversation that could have been the end of the relationship if I didn't let myself go there. That easily could have been that little tiny splinter under my fingernail that I let fester and didn't deal with. And then I built evidence and I said, see, I told you we couldn't communicate and this was never going to work out. And yet- it just, you know, now it's like I'm in a completely different relationship again, having let that piece out. And I think that's where, because I've done a lot of performance coaching and I've spent a lot of time in like, sure. okay, how do we move on? What do we do? What's the next action? What's the next action? <laughs> and I can see where I'm a little weak in remembering all of the emotional tools I have. And mm-hmm. I still resist them. Yes. So, I know. Yeah. I do too. <laughs> what the heck? Them with I resist them with my clients. Well, you know, look, it was just, it it was just how you and I grew up, what we developed, right, to fit yeah. into what the conversation was in in society. Yeah, and it's not bad. <clears throat> Noticing it is like the first biggest woohoo, yeah. right? Because now you've got access to something. Now you have access to oh, this is what's going to make this this work, yeah. right? This is what's going to have my life actually work. You know, we wonder why the divorce rate is so high because people stop right where you were. They stop Mm -hmm. and they don't allow themselves to feel those emotions. And there's, it's so useful. Yeah. You know, we think that emotions are, are permanent or pervasive, right? Like permanent. Oh my gosh. If I allow myself to feel that it's just going to take over my life, you know, 
and it's just not the case. <laughs> emotions are a little bit more like a wave, you know? Yeah. And you know, I mean, that's, I've definitely heard that like the ocean of emotions and I have been in those places where there was so much suppressed grief or anger that I really was afraid. Like if I go into that depth, that cavern, like I will never crawl back out. And I do know, I'm just going to put this caveat in here as the disclaimer is like, there are people and, and this is a whole nother ball of wax is like, mm-hmm. like I am dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome. Now I'm way healthier than I was seven months ago last, mm-hmm. you know, summer. And I know one of the things that happens for me now that I've distinguished is when I've pushed my body too hard, I've surpassed my daily carrying capacity of work. <laughs> I don't yeah. have enough, you know, energy left in the tank. One of the first places it's actually a warning sign that I need to stop working. I need to rest my brain again is my emotions start to get way disproportionate to what's happening around me. Mm-hmm. You know, Justin may make a comment about dinner and I'm off to the races about how he hates my cooking. And it's like, I'll know, okay, that is actually for me now gotten identified as a red flag about my physiologic condition that's separate. And I know that's also like, it can cloud things. And I say that because there are also people that they really are full on legit dealing with chemical imbalances and Mm -hmm. neuroinflammation, which that's the whole thing we can also talk about. I've been learning a lot more about taking the gut brain connection way deeper into Mm. like literally how dysbiosis in our gut microbiome when it's unhealthy is altering our capacity to manage stress at the level of emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. not just our endocrine system. That's like, I'm fascinated by it. I'm learning a lot about it, but like, so there is the place where if you're going to start to tap into your emotions, doing it with a coach, a therapist, a very supportive partner, somebody who can help that. Like I often am quoted saying, I promise I will not leave you in this space forever. Like it's okay to be depressed for a little while. Depression isn't always bad. Mm -hmm. And if in two or three weeks, things have not significantly lifted and you're not in a new place, I will intervene. I'm not, you know, like knowing somebody's there for you to support you through those kinds of things can be integral to not get lost too far down the rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that, you know, that's one of the challenges when it comes to our emotions, right? We've been so conditioned or we've conditioned ourselves to emote alone, if you will, right? And really, if you're ruminating or if you're, you know, having challenges, you're best working with someone on that. Like you said, a trusted friend or an emotions coach or a therapist, if that's right, like that may be what's appropriate. And, you know, it may not be forever that you do that. It might be <laughs> to some level, right? But I meant the therapist that you wouldn't necessarily yes. have to do that forever. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but with the friends and with, you know, a coach, potentially, I guess you could could do that. Hopefully yeah. you'll do that forever, right? <laughs> yes. And Maybe empower- even more and more of them. Exactly. Yeah. And you'll empower more and more people around you and your kids and, you know, their friends when they come over and yeah, who knows, right? Like, yeah, that's my dream. So what are some of your favorite tools to help people start to, you know, just begin to get into this, even identifying what they're feeling? Sure. You know, one of my favorite tools right now is it's an app for your phone. It's called the mood meter app. It's, I don't know, I think it's 99 cents, both for iPhone and Android. I've checked it out. And we have no uh, financial relationship to this company. It's just a tool. Nope. No, no. <laughs> yep. In fact, it was developed by Yale scientists. I think nice. At the, you know, at the Yale Center for Intelligent 
emotional intelligence, I think yeah. is, is, who, is who developed it. So a great little app and, you know, you <clears throat> use it throughout the day to identify what it is that you're feeling. It's yeah. super simple. It, you know, gives you four quadrants, you get the quadrant, right. Then you can, you know, get into the emotion. And as you're doing the work, you get more familiar with more and more emotions. Right. Awesome. So, and then you can look, it also will guide you if you want to stay in that emotion. Great. If you don't, if you want to shift out of that, it'll give you a suggestion and a quote. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes I find the suggestions more useful than other times, but at least it's like pointing you in the right direction. Right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. giving you access to getting more in touch with your emotions. So that's one yeah. of my favorites right now. Yeah. And I've used one. Uh, it's a book called The Language mm-hmm. of Emotions by Carla McLaren. I read it a long time ago, maybe, well, long, 20 years ago, maybe 15. And it's like an encyclopedia on emotions. And she's an empath and mm. has worked in that field most of her life and kind of had to sort herself. I mean, empaths in particular, and, and I have an opinion that actually all humans are empaths. It's mm-hmm. whether or not your culture and where you were raised cultivates more feeling conversations or doesn't. But I think it's, it's ingrained part of our physiology that all of us actually can tune in and feel each other's emotions and connect into what each other's dealing with. But some of us as even a coping strategy of trauma in childhood, some people actually crank up their sensitivity because they had to know, like if they have an alcoholic parent or they were dealing with certain substance abuse, like what, what mood is my parent in tonight? And, and to know, is this a good night or a bad night? And so they actually, as a survival mechanism, cranked all of that up. And it leaves us sometimes very susceptible to other people's moods and emotions. And so I read the book from that standpoint and she gets into, I think there's 26 chapters and each chapter goes into the benefits of each emotion, why we have them, what they're useful for. And like one that I'll highlight is anger is often considered a negative emotion, but really her stand is there's no such thing as a negative or a positive. It's all information. And anger is, is pretty much about boundary betrayal. And one is to recognize, well, what has actually been betrayed? What is the boundary that got crossed? And then what are the requests to make to either restore the boundary or is there, was there no boundary and there needs to be one that gets established? Yes. And that changed everything for me when I started Mm -hmm. to be able to look from there. She even gets into like depression as the stop Mm -hmm. sign of the soul and talks about how and I'm not really talking about biochemical, clinical, physiologic depression, but when we have depression as an emotion at certain periods in our life, mm-hmm. it's like our soul is saying, you keep going in the wrong direction in life. I want you to stop, sit still and think about it and then redirect where you want to be going. So you lose motivation. Of course you lose motivation. You don't want to go anywhere. You don't want to do anything. It's because <laughs> it's like your soul is holding onto your ankles, trying to get you to stop, keep going in the wrong direction, <laughs> you know? Yes. And that was also a total game changer for me to recognize when depression would start to come in that maybe I should like slow down and do some journaling. Where am I not telling myself the truth? that I'm participating in something or I'm, I've made a commitment to something that actually isn't true to my heart. That's right. With the biggest place being that was towards the end of my, my marriage. Mm-hmm. I recognize, I actually did a, I was interviewed on a podcast with somebody that I'll get the information for that in the show notes. And I shared about a moment in time. It was one night where I truly was at an edge of suicidal ideation. I'd never actually been there where I could see myself taking action. Now 
I was very much not sober. I'd been at a party that I had decided to go to because I really wanted to stay home because I was in this like big depression all summer long debating about whether or not I was going to leave my marriage. Yeah. And I chose to go out and be social. And in that process, just made a bunch of bad decisions and got really drunk. Mm-hmm. And in that process, I actually did reach out to my best friend and say, don't let me go home tonight. Cause I know exactly how many tablets of Tylenol to take as a doctor to not wake up tomorrow. Yeah. Wow. And I slept on her couch and I woke up with a wicked hangover the next day mm-hmm. and had this thought, which was, if I was willing to end my life, would I be willing to just end my life as in risk leaving the marriage and having to start over? Yeah. And I got in communication with family and started to build off of that. And then, you know, ultimately in the next year we did divorce and it was actually a really amicable divorce in the long run. But that, that moment, one of the things was I got the message of my emotions and the other was I got in communication with close friends and family. Exactly. Just so brilliantly, brilliantly put Sarah. I mean, thanks for sharing that because it's, it, it really does identify for people like, wow, yeah, it can be, it can be that. So, you yeah. know, for, for parents, it's like, yeah, let's let them talk, you know, let's, let, let, let's let them have their anger in the cereal aisle. It's okay. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <clears throat> what have we not talked about? Gosh, you know, well, you know, you asked what some of my favorite things we touched on meditation, but mm. meditation, I really find as being such a useful tool for there, for those of us who really like the prefrontal cortex of our brain, it's a useful tool Yeah, yep. <laughs> that allows us to shift into that limbic system. You know, they say, studies say <laughs> yes, that you can actually start in, in inhibiting the the stress circuitry, right? Like that kind of takes you out from your emotions by as much as 50%. If yeah. you meditate like 30 minutes a day, that's all it takes. There's so many really great meditations out there. In fact, there's one that I use with my, my clients all the time. It's three minutes, super simple. Doesn't take a long time. It's called the serene mind meditation. And it was created by I don't know, O&O Academy. If you go to YouTube and search for PK consciousness, the serene mind meditation, you'll find it. It's super simple. It has you look at, okay, what is the emotion that you're feeling? And then it just walks you through a three minute meditation that will have you identify what you're feeling and take you into that limbic system and connect with yourself and potentially get you into back into flow, get you back into a way that will have you know, bring workability in that moment for your life. So I think that was the one thing that we kind of touched on, but really didn't say a whole lot about that I find really useful. Yeah. There's a lot of science behind, and it's not quite all meditations are created equal. They do different things, but there's also particularly like, I know there's a lot of, again, apps, no relationship financially, but like there's, I use insight meditation app and there's also headspace are two really popular ones and they have all kinds of different, there's, there's guided meditations. There's meditations on emotions, a lot of them. And one of the other areas that there's a lot of research for emotional balance in our body, restoring that calm. And it's also really great for kids 
of all kinds, but definitely also kids dealing with autism spectrum disorders, ADHD is cultivating beta brainwaves. Mm. And beta brainwaves particularly help with that rebalancing, dropping us into the the parasympathetic nervous system, relaxing our body, getting us into this, this state of mind. And there are, there are musicians who've created musical tracks that just literally put you into beta. And so there's, and there's also like now, I mean, cause we love to create technology to go along with our stuff. So there's actually like these meditation devices. One of my friends has one and it, it like sits on your head, like a crown. And he was super suspicious of like, really, is this going to work? But it totally did. It will tell you when you drop out of a meditative state and then Mm -hmm. it makes, it changes some sort of sound and until you get yourself back into it. So it's actually creates a neurofeedback, which is another whole area. You can go work with a practitioner on neurofeedback, which is incredibly helpful, especially for being able to learn how to restore the calm, how to bring yourself back into a state after a lot of intense emotions have come Mm up or Mm -hmm. someone, you know, particularly like I know about it in studies with kids with ADHD and autism where they get really, really, really intensely stuck. And it's hard for them to learn how to come out of those neurofeedback can be great. And there's now devices where you can actually work through some of these kinds of neurofeedback at home. You know, that's so great. You know, speaking of kids, I think, you know, one thing that I would want the parents out there to know is there are emotion flashcards, you know, like we had our, oh, yeah. Tables. they created them for kids with autism, but they're so great. I can't believe, you know, we limited it to just because <laughs> they're yeah. so cool. It like shows different expressions, like how to, how to sense the different expressions and subtleties of expression that, relate to emotion and they'll help you identify what emotion some of them will have one emotion, but then it gives similar emotions, right? Like a list of them. So you can, you know, expand your breadth and scope of what you're able to identify with emotions. Those I find really useful, useful for my adults, but yeah, kids. So, but I can really see one of my weak points now is articulating the positive emotions. Oh, right. Like I, it's like, I can, you know, all right, this is what I'm dealing with when I'm struggling, but I notice. So every year I take on a couple words as my theme for the year to, to kind of push me or create new, new things. And this year, my theme for 2021 is joy, generosity, and teamwork. I've been a solo practitioner doing it on my own for a really long time. (laughs) And this podcast has been a big part, you know, working with Kendra And I'm now like actually expanding and building team around, we're going to be offering online like DIY courses on health and well-being, and and starting Mm -hmm. to build around things like that, that I I just can't do them by myself. But what's interesting is that I, I actually have never, ever, ever, ever set my intention on any sort of thing like joy or happiness. Mm. And it's having me start to look at like, well, what brings me joy? And, and, and then what beyond that, like excitement, ecstasy, passion, joy, (laughs) like elation. And I'm like, I can feel it in my body. I still have some made up limited belief that I remember from childhood that has to do with like all happiness is all silly or it's like not sophisticated, smart, and productive, which of course I was this precocious little kid that wanted to be taken more seriously than she was all the time. Mm-hmm. And so like, I have this ingrained, like, I don't even, it's, it's cause I'm not unhappy, but I'm like neutral. 
Mm-hmm. I can be really neutral a lot of the time and productive. I'll be like, do, 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 handling all these things in just this mm-hmm. mode, but like to actually stop and ask myself, like, am I enjoying this? Mm. It, have I done anything that like made me laugh and lit me up and were like actually like intent being intentional about happiness. And this is new territory for me. Like I'm literally like, I got a little in the back of my throat about it. <laughs> I don't even know all the reasons why that is, but it's really interesting to notice. Like so many people you ask me, like, are you happy in your life? And they'll be like, yeah, of course I am. But then it's like, what have you measured it? Like how many times a day do you actually experience joy or happiness? Yeah. That is a whole nother ball of wax for me. Yeah. Or desire or Hmm. affectionate or optimistic or cheerful or. (laughs) Oh yeah. All those other words I didn't say. (laughs) Right. I mean, there's so many triumphant. Sometimes it's triumphant. Yeah. Yeah. That's so rad. Blissful. Oh my gosh. We're going to have so many show notes from this. You guys have so many resources. It's awesome. And (laughs) keeping Kendra busy doing her research for each episode. This has been incredible. And I seem to have hit on a theme. It, It always cracks me up where I will reach out to people to interview and I'll have some concept of all these different topics. And then somehow like I end up on a three, four episode theme. So you guys Mm -hmm. hang in there. Like we've been doing this whole theme. Emotions keep coming up because apparently that's just what we need right now and what we're, (laughs) what we're dealing with. So, you know, we threw a little gardening in there with, with urban farm, but it's been (laughs) awesome to, to have yet another just profound exploration of this with you, Audra, and you're available. You are doing like full on coaching with people now. I am. I am. Yeah. And I'm really excited about, you know, the program that I'm starting with parents in the next month. So yeah, cool. Well, we'll Mm -hmm. make sure we've got links to those resources available and how you can be contacted. Anyone that wants to start to get into some of this work. And I can attest to, you know, now you and I've been working together almost two years Mm. and it keeps evolving. But this piece, right. About cultivating enjoyment in my life and joy Mm -hmm. is one of the things that, you know, I have in our work together to keep, keep pushing me. So I highly (laughs) recommend having people in your life that actually hold you to account to enjoying your life. Otherwise (laughs) crazy things can happen and years go by and you're like, what, what did I just do? Uh, Yes. Awesome. Very good. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Great. Good. Well, we'll do it again sometime. All right. It's a deal. Inspired by the success of Heal, we are now a community of over 2,000 incredible listeners. We will be launching some courses and workshops in 2021. Be the first to know about them by joining our mailing list at sarahmarshallnd.com. Thank you to today's guest, Audra Boyd, for her love and compassion. For a full transcript and all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our kick-ass editor, Kendra Vicken. Always thank you for being here. See you next time. <laughs>